Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Titan Talk podcast. Uh, we've got no Moniz this week, but uh, I'm here, Punt- Nicholas Bruno, also known as Punt and Wine, with uh, my co-host Andy Wilson. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Have a uh, a, a big tournament at the end of the month so looking forward to preparing for that which uh tournament it is the puget sound battleground you probably don't know about it because it's a it's a northwest thing puget sound being the the body of water uh in washington that is between peninsula the peninsula and like the and the rest of the washington mm-hmm. that is known as the puget sound and uh the puget sound battleground is basically uh, a tournament series well it's it's maybe not necessarily a series like we don't track points throughout tournaments but it is basically the you know the battle of the northwest so we get people down from canada we get people over from idaho we get people up from california and it's just it is just our arena to see who is the best in the northwest and so big modern tournament it, then so it is there are it's a two-day event day one they have a a big modern event which will give a a pro tour invite or whatever the invite is to i don't keep track anymore there mm-hmm. is a pioneer event and then there is also a legacy main event the pioneer and modern events give out invites and the legacy one doesn't which has really is really grinding my gears because sunday is when they have the the team trios tournament and i am my team's legacy seat i've been my team's legacy seat since i was the legacy seat at the at the pro tour and so I'm, like, torn as to whether I'm going to play the Legacy main event or the Modern main event. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've just been... Personally, I've been playing a lot of Legacy in preparation for that. But uh, my roommate will be playing the Modern portion, so I've been playing a lot of Modern with him. And uh, our team, which is me and my two roommates, we won the team tournament last year. And then the year before that, I was in the finals of the Legacy main event. So it's like we have... A, a winning streak we want to run it back to back um mm-hmm. so yeah got totally. a title to defend we have a title to defend and uh we're gonna win again i have a good feeling gotcha so um if if you're doing legacy what deck are you going to be playing legacy do you know yeah do you not want to so, give that away oh i'll give it away uh, so i spent a lot of time testing all of the control builds basically under the sun uh, I am a well-known person to register sorts of plowshare, but for this event, I will be playing Blue Red Delver. I played Blue Red Delver in the showcase, and historically, I've had success with Delver. Like I played Delver at the Pro Tour when I made the finals of the Puget Sound Battleground, two year, like pre-COVID. I played Delver, and that was the Ren and Six Delver format. Played Delver there, and basically, this last week and a half, I gave up and I joined Team Delver and. And in the last few days, I went from four trophies to ten, and I'm now on the leaderboard. So I will be playing Blue Red Delver. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like the legacy, it does seem like they they keep, like, every once in a while, they'll just print, like, a really good one drop in some set. And then legacy just ends up being, like there's always this deck that's just the pile of like the best one drops ever printed it's like oh we've got like ragavan and there's like flusterstorm and there's like red and blue elemental blasts and it's like just all these extremely broken one drops from like all different periods of magic history always just seems like a legacy deck yeah the the pattern is a one or two drop that if you untap with it accrues game-winning card advantage and mana advantage. So you look at Ragavan, it gives you card advantage and it gives you mana advantage and, it give, and it's one mana. Dreadhorde Arcanus, it gives you card advantage from the spells it casts that you cast for free. So spell advantage and mana advantage. Ren and Six, you know, spell advantage, mana advantage. If a one or, one or two drop that is efficient and gives you both card advantage and mana advantage, you know, Deathrite Shaman, it is probably headed towards the ban list sooner, sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so maybe we should uh, then get into uh, modern a little bit. Uh, what have you been yeah. playing? Uh, what what list have you been on recently in modern? As far as like amulet, where where are you at right now? So, 
I'm less, like, concerned right now with Amulet, with, like, trying to find the ultimate 75 or the best list right now. And I'm more concerned with just, just playing stuff that I, I find interesting. So when you when you showed the... In our Discord, you showed the... Uh, your I'm losing the Blood Moon Turn Timber deck, where you said it was a combination of mine and Moni's uh, philosophies about mana, which was, fuck Castle Garenbrig, language, and... Uh, play all the untapped green sources so you, you built a list that had like no castle and had four ten turn turn timber symbiosis and a bunch of green sources and so i actually i, I sleeved that up and i actually like liked it quite a bit uh, i didn't like the hanware um mm -hmm. and so i've i've since tuned the list to include uh you know the the boros slayer stronghold package sure uh, and so, yeah, I've basically just been kind of playing other people's lists just because. And then, you know, a lot of my, my modern testing recently has been, like, Ragavan decks because my, my roommate is almost certainly going to play either uh, Blue-Red Murktide or Grixis Shredder. Yeah, I think I, I've been taking some, like, Turn Timber, some non-turn timber but still cultivator and some uh like karn different versions i've been playing around a lot recently with this sort of uh philosophy of lose to blood moon and i've actually really loved this philosophy um and i should probably talk about like what what it is that i'm actually doing and why which is essentially i was realizing that like cavern of souls is really really good right now and there's like always this tension between Castle Garenbrig and Cavern, right? Like they're mm -hmm. like well, you can't use them together. Castle can't you can't tap Cavern for Castle. You can't tap Castle and Cavern together to cast a Titan, you know, efficiently. So they're like always at odds with each other. And Cavern's just really good. Like, there's Murktide is, like, the top deck in the format. You want to be main decking a lot of Caverns. And so I kept going down on, like, my castles, and I'd play, like, two castle lists, and I was, like, one castle list, and I was, like, you know, I think there's a lot of value, and I said on Lands episode, I think there's a lot of value to that first castle just by, like, having something to search off the expedition map. But, like, I was also realizing that, like, once I cut that last castle out of the deck like you don't really need forests anymore in the deck like in the mana base like you mm -hmm. need untapped green sources the deck needs untapped green mana but like at that point you're really only playing the forests to like you know have things to do under blood moon and i don't know if that's enough of a reason to be like playing four forests in your amulet deck right like if you take castle garenbrig out of the equation like i think there's a lot of equity in just being able to put things like you know layer of the hydra uh breeding pool to you know transmute or gemstone mine sort of similar to breeding pool but also has like some slayer sun home stuff so like I don't know. I've just been really, I've been really, really happy with this sort of philosophy of building amulet of just saying, I'm going to give up on castle and I'm going to give up on the forests and I'm going to accept that like I am softening myself up to blood moon, but I think I'm just overall making the deck like better and stronger as a whole. And like, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know how many games against Blood Moon that I am losing that I would otherwise win because you don't actually face that many Blood Moons. And when you do, it's not like, you know, necessarily there's a lot of those games you're winning anyway. And like when you do, like sometimes I'm winning those games like via Karn or via Floating Mana then Besejuing or... You know, like, even when you run two forests, still sometimes you will draw those forests. Like, so it's like the, um, I feel like the cost is pretty low overall in terms of your win rate. Whereas, like, the upside of just, like, going all in, dropping the castles, dropping some forests, like, there's a lot that you unlock in terms of your mana base once you're willing to take that leap. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I've been 
complaining about this tension between Cavern and Castle for months now, where I'm just saying, like, Castle, I mean, Cavern is the thing that is important right now. Cavern is the thing that determines whether you are winning your game ones against the most popular deck in the format, and the second most popular deck in the format, and the third most popular deck in the format, and Castle isn't. And, and those, those, when you're against, like, Blue Red or Grixis or Money Pile and you don't have a cavern and you have a castle instead, you actually lose the game. You can't mm -hmm. resolve your titan and you lose. And so, you know, for a while I've been saying, like, cavern is more and more and more and more important, and the more important cavern becomes, the less important castle becomes. And, you know, I think people forget that, you know, Amulet Titan was still a very powerful deck before Castle Garenbrig was printed. You know, Amulet was still a very powerful deck before insert new amulet card you know printed in the last two years that you like was ever printed and and one thing that i've i've kind of noticed in, in you particularly is how we did that lance episode and then you just sort of exploded or i guess maybe blossomed into this really exploratory phase where you really just started trying a lot of new things and so uh it sounds like you you like what you're trying and i'm i'm happy to see you drop castle and just sort of open the door to crazy world for a little bit because you can you know even if if what you learn in crazy world isn't the ultimate 75 you can learn a lot spending if you if you you know if you let yourself just get a little wild and just try things you wouldn't normally try you can learn a lot yeah i would say since the lands episode the things that i've maybe changed my opinions on or come to appreciate differently so i tried some hand wire stuff and i i think i was a little bit too hard on hand wire but i think like i still prefer slayer sun home right now um i know in the lands episode i said that like Baseju makes layer of the hydra obsolete but actually i've been playing a lot with layer of the hydra recently and we'll get into that card in particular and I'm very high on the card layer of the Hydra now, uh, trying that again. Um, and then uh, the second Talaria West, I think, is a card that for a long time I was pretty low on. And I think part of the reason I was on as low on it as I was, was I think Modern for a period got very sort of uh, sort of like linear and combo-y, and it was just about doing the thing that you need to do as fast and consistently as you could. And now there's a little bit more like back and forth play to modern a lot more. And I think Talaria West is sort of good at the sort of um, like there's things you can do with a second Talaria West that you can't do with one Talaria West is like, I'm just going to transmute this first Talaria West for like a bounce land because I really need a bounce land whereas like when you only have one Talaria West in your hand you're like well if I transmute this Talaria West for a bounce land then when I resolve this Titan if it dies I just don't have another Titan and that's a problem right mm -hmm. so there's like a lot of there's a lot of equity in any sort of like back and forth type games to having a second Talaria West in your deck um and I, I don't know, I think maybe it's not so much that a lot of my evaluations have necessarily changed a lot, but I think it's like uh, once I opened up this idea of like, hey, there's actually more room in the mana base than I thought once you're like willing to like cut those castles, it kind of opened my mind to like, oh, all these things that were like just on the edge of being good enough for me, layer of the Hydra you know, uh, and, like, t second Talaria West and stuff. Like, now, to me, it's, like, now they're in, and I'm feeling great with them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am a big, big believer in having the second Talaria West, you know, although I don't stretch my, my mana as far to be able to accommodate it as you, as you do as you're playing the Breeding Pool and the Gemstone Mine right now, where I will just, you know, YOLO it and just play the two Telaria West, no breeding pool, no gemstone mine, no, no, no fear or concern that be able to transmute it. But like, you know, sometimes you need to turn that first Telaria West into a cavern of souls. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, 
I think like I kind of am of the opinion that's like when I'm playing the second Talaria West, I want to support it, you know, like mm-hmm. I want to make it so that when I draw it, I have the ability to transmute it for a bounce land. I have the ability to transmute it for a cavern. You know, I have the ability to transmute it for the Summoner's Pact for the first Titan. Like, I want to be transmuting it. And I don't know if... I don't know if I need, like... I don't know if Gemstone Mine is right. Like, I'm considering cutting the Gemstone Mine for maybe, like, the first fetch land. Because I think Mm -hmm. one fetch land with, like, two forests and a breeding pool is, like, kind of reasonable. It's, like, almost fitting an extra basic. There's, like, some Valakut shenanigans. And it's, like, you know, blue mana for transmute but um but i think at least having like one extra blue source in the mana base beyond the like talaria west and the simic growth chamber there's like equity there in sort of fair transmuting of talaria west yeah um one thing that i that i i find kind of interesting is that you you went on you you went on you did this exploring and you built this kind of wonky mana base version of titan with a bunch of turn timber symbioses. And then you just kind of crushed Moto with it for a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, I I sit down for today's podcast, and then you're you're back on card. And so I'm mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering what has caused you to shift to go back to Karn after having such amazing results when you went off Karn for a little bit. I mean, also, like, I've had good results with the card. I mean, when I picked up this card list, the, my first 10 matches in a row were wins. Like, it was... Mm-hmm. And the second league, I didn't even drop a game. Like, so Yikes. it's like, it's not like the the success with me playing Amulet recently was, was limited to one list or the other. I think mm-hmm. what I realized was when I was doing really well with this turn timber list that I built, and I still think it's a solid list, I don't know if I want four turn timbers in it. I might uh, massage that mana base to be like two or one turn timbers to fit more sort of like interesting utility and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was realizing that I was liking the mana base more than I was liking like the deck as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was winning games. I was like crushing Moto not because I was like casting a bunch of turn timber symbiosis into cultivator colossus i feel like i was crushing because i was going turn one untapped land into turn two in like amulet or grazer into turn two three drop into turn three titan mm-hmm. and i'm like the titans are what's winning me the games right now and having a clean and functional mana base is what's winning me games and like mm-hmm. having layer of the hydra in my mana base is what's winning me games it's not you know, cultivator colossus. It's not turn timber symbiosis. Those aren't what's winning me games. Like, it's like almost like if you replace the turn timber symbiosis with like basic forests and the like cultivator colossus with blank pieces of cardboard, I would have won a similar amount of games, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was like, um, yeah. So I was just kind of getting to this point where I was like, oh, am I liking this list or am I liking like not having castle in my deck and having layer of the hydra was like what I was feeling. Um, And so I was like, okay, so I'm going to take this same philosophy and I'm going to apply it to a Karn list. And I was like playing around with the mana base and I started with like a hand wire Karn list with like a similar, uh, with like a similar philosophy of like the, no castles and i was just like i can't figure out what i want my last like you know what what is my 30 second land gonna be and i'm like okay i guess it should probably be like the slayer sun home package like what am i doing here right like if i have Mm -hmm. the room that that seems like a good thing to fit in the mana base i've got my 10 untapped green sources i've got my main deck bajuka bog i've got my layer of the hydra i've got my three castles i've got my besaju like you know what what am i doing like why am i looking for something else when there's like very clearly these lands that have a lot of utility to fill the last spot like what am i looking for besides this to fill those last extra slots that i've freed up mm-hmm. and, and, and quick correct, correction there you said three castles and i think you meant three cavern of souls three cavern three cavern yeah. of souls yeah and 
what you just described is the exact same process I go through every time I try, try Hanware. Like, I played I played Hanware because it was in your list, and I was like, I'm just going to play Punts list. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, the list felt good, but I hated the Hanware package. And I, I actually, since, came down on, on the turn timber to... Th- uh, I went down to three turn timbers to make room for the, the, the package. I think mm-hmm. I cut a my second Azusa and one turn timber to just, like, just get the lands in there. Um, there are a yeah. few things that we, we, we've wanted to talk about for a long time, and we kind of keep brushing on them. So I think we should just, like, tackle them head on, and those are... Uh, oh, sorry, Wyndham... just one last thing I wanted to oh, say sorry. on that. Is like, yeah, yeah. I think with the turn timber list, that's, like, the exact direction I was... Like, that was my next iteration of where I wanted to go with it, is just, like, putting in the Slayer Sun Home package trimming down on turn timbers was sort of like what I, if I was going to continue to work on that list, I think that's the next direction I would go to. And I, I do think it's interesting that the second place modern challenge list had only one tim, turn timber symbiosis. Yeah. And then the other like top 16 modern challenge and then, you know, mistaken, obviously mistaken, just crushing it on the leaderboard or trophies mm-hmm. and zero turn timbers. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Tim Trimber like is a kind of a, a decent card right now because there's a lot of thought seizes running around because mm-hmm. people are pretty high up on the Grixis Shredder. But we will get to the list later. Right now, mm-hmm. we, we 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 let's tackle these these two topics that we've wanted to tackle for a long time, and we meant to tackle them head on the lands episode, and we somehow forgot, even though this this issue was the reason we wanted to do a lands issue uh, lands episode in the first place, which was can I can I can I pick the one that like we've been putting off forever yeah 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 take it take it away radiant fountain okay so mistaken a very very good amulet player has been not main decking radiant fountain for a while now and i've been like pushing every episode for like weeks of like oh you know what else we should talk about this week is radiant fountain main decker sideboard and then we're always like yeah and then it's like we always forget because we get on our long rambles (laughs) So, mm-hmm. literal weeks this has been in our episode guidelines to talk about this and then we're like you know what let's like just make an episode devoted to the lands and then we can talk all about this in that episode and then we make the lands episode and we barely talk about it because we spent so much time talking about the other lands and it was like our longest episode ever and Moniz mm-hmm. is like you know about to fall asleep because it's like super late in his time zone and we just kind of had to wrap it up but you know so now we are going to finally tackle Radiant Fountain, whether it should be in your main or the sideboard, you know, what's what's going on? What's the rationale between one or the other? Because Mistaken is obviously, uh, their lists are always very clean, very good, puts up a ton of results, has been sideboarding it for a long time now, and I know how I feel about it. I'm, I'm curious as to how you feel about it. Well, first of all, I want to say I think Mistaken's list is, like, a very good list that they have put a huge amount of time into. And so I'm not going to say something specific to that list, which I feel like has had a huge amount of tuning go into it and I think is very solid. And I think every decision is very deliberate. But I think Mm -hmm. generally speaking, I'm a big believer that Radiant Fountain should still be in the main deck in Amulet. Really? I I think I, I tend to agree. Um, also, Mistaken's list, usually if someone is l- learning Amulet and they they want to know where to start, a, usually a Mistaken or a Moniz list is where I like kind of direct them first. Mm-hmm. Because they're always like very clean, very streamlined, uh, very efficient at doing the game's plan without uh, too many distractions. And I think it's like probably the perfect baseline for Amulet, honestly. Right, like, I think if you're, like, trying to say, like, what is a stock amulet list, or, like, what is the first amulet list somebody should pick up to learn amulet, like, literally just go to Mistaken's Twitter, copy-paste whatever list Mistaken is playing, because it is a 100% guarantee to be the cleanest, most amulet 75. There's not going to be, like, car nonsense going on, there's not going to be, like, you know, whatever random four-turn timbers or whatever random stuff, like, I'm doing right now, there is going to be... You are going to be playing Amulet of Vigor, you are going to be playing an Azusa or a Dryad, and you're going to be playing a Primeval Titan, 
and there's probably going to be like a little bit of extra stuff on the side like you know one or two cultivator colossus just for you know that extra threat you know and like a just a clean i love this sideboard by the way mistaken mm -hmm. four endurances two force of vigor two dismember uh two tireless tracker two fire spout two engineered explosives one radiant fountain like i feel like every card in that sideboard it's like deliberately like we are trying to maximize on the particular effects that like you know you want in this perfect in this current meta and i think like yeah so i i really like this list but maybe separate from the list like specifically radiant fountain so like i think in a general sense it matters how much like your life total matters and not just like life total matters in like in abstract sense like not just like burn but like i think just more specifically how many decks is their main game plan to attack you with creatures to put your life total from 20 to zero and so like i would consider like junt to be in that category i would consider murktide to be in that category i would not consider the four color control decks to be in that category because their main game plan is not to attack you from 20 to zero their main game plan is to amass they, their win condition is i have drawn five cards this turn and thus you cannot win the game because i have too much advantage like that's mm -hmm. their win condition everything else after that is just like trivial right mm -hmm. like that's yeah. that's not like where the game happens the game happens like up until the point where they untap with five extra cards in hand and then the game is over right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel like ha having the the radiant fountain in the sideboard i think makes a lot of sense if you are playing a lot on moto because mm -hmm. and i think i think this is one of those things you can get away with moto but i probably wouldn't want to do in paper is because a lot of times like on on moto you can get to the point where um so on on one hand there there is just a lot of random nonsense in in modern leagues because they went ever since they combined friendly and competitive but mm -hmm. other than that you are going to be playing against like pretty much on meta decks that are uh, fairly tuned and sophisticated and when the meta is like kind of figured out in that sense you can basically go look i'm, I'm probably not going to pair into, into like is it prowess right now right mm -hmm. it's probably just not going to happen probably not going to queue into burn you know it's probably just not really going to happen and so it, when when you can have this level of understanding of what the meta is you can put something like radiant fountain in the sideboard uh, i'm always afraid to do something like that in like like, I would always want Radiant Fountain in my main deck if I'm going to a paper tournament because paper tournaments mm -hmm. are much more open and, you know, you, you don't really know what you're going to face for most paper tournaments. It's a much wider range of decks you can face. And when put in that position, I want Radiant Fountain in the main deck. Plus also just my, my general preference of, like, wanting to have my utility lands in the main deck and not wanting the sideboard lands in general, which is just a, gen a preference of mine. And so, like, I can I can look at Mistakelin's list, understand why the Radiant Fountain is in the sideboard, understand why it makes perfect sense, and why I think if you're going to play on Moto, I think that's there's no problem to do that. But it's it's not a choice I would make for myself for most of my major tournaments. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I mean, I'm looking at the top meta decks right now. I think, like, Merktide, I consider Radiant Fountain, like, main deck sideboard kind of like a wash. I'm fine with it being sideboard in that matchup. Mm -hmm. I don't think... Uh, Same. I think, uh, like, Elementals, I'd prefer for it to be in the sideboard. Like, Blink and Elementals sideboard. Uh, I think Hammer Time, I'd prefer it to be in the main deck because I think sometimes, like, they will specifically be doing, like... like 10 and then 10 or like something like or like 10 and then 11 and yeah. also sometimes they're doing just like a fair beat down with creatures it's like i'd prefer radiant fountain be in my deck versus hammer time uh -huh. i think yogmoth moth i'd prefer it be in the sideboard i think burn yeah. i'd prefer it be in the main deck and i think against living end i'd prefer it's in the main deck because like i think there's a lot of games that come down to they get like a baby living end or not even necessarily like a baby living end, but like three, four creatures 
into play. So like baby to like medium living end. Yeah. And then it's like you play a primeval Titan and it's like street wraith, you know, might swamp walk through a dryad. You've got, you know, their flying creatures and stuff. And like the two life, I think matters a lot more than it would seem like based on like, you know, living end sort of like theoretically being a combo deck. But I think with all the evasion creatures and the fact that like you very often just like need, you're like, I need one more turn and that two life can be like, or sometimes four life, depending on sequencing can be that one more turn. Yep makes me really like it against living it so it's like i kind of if you're like like i'm trying to beat murktide and elementals and blink and you're like if that in your mind is the metagame is like murktide elementals and like maybe death shadow like i can see like if that's your internal internal metagame Radiant Fountain and the Cypher kind of makes sense to me to make room for other important things. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. I, I even think MTGO is pretty open sometimes. I mean, like, I'll, I'll go on MTGO and, like, even in, like, you know, you can be in, like, round four or five of a challenge and you'll be facing, you know, like, at, at 5-0, you'll be facing, like, the, you know, uh indomitable creativity like i'm not just Mm -hmm. like you know i'm not trying to like say that's a deck that's great for radiant fountain but i'm just saying like you know not it's not like there's some like fixed meta of like three decks and that's all that you're gonna face you know you're gonna face the person who brought tron or ponza or you know whatever Mm -hmm. like there there's just everything in in mtgo i think in modern i think modern's I think people think the metagame seems very solved because I think there's like a huge amount of consensus about like what the best decks are, but yeah. I think the percentage of the meta those best decks actually take up is actually like not huge, right? Like I mm-hmm. think that like the Murktide, Death Shadow, and Four Color, as far as like metagame share, uh, is probably even combined. I don't think more than twenty five percent of the meta. Interesting, interesting. I mean, I would definitely take take your word on that, as you've you've been spending a lot more time in the modern leagues lately than I have. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm underestimating it, but I just feel like when I queue into anything modern, any challenge, any league, I just face just actual everything all the time. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, so, do you think uh, you think we've we've cons- we've covered Radiant Fountain to your liking? Do you would you like to to move on to the next? next thing we've been wanting to talk about sure i guess the last last thought on radiant fountain is just i would say like i think it makes sense in a very solved meta where you're trying to beat beat a very particular few decks where it's not as important but i don't necessarily agree that that's where modern is right now that's my final thought on it all right i think i think that's reasonable um what what do you want to tackle next? Do you want to tackle Bog, or do you want to would you want to tackle Lair of the Hydra? Um, maybe we can tackle uh, Bog quickly. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. have to say too much about it because I feel mm-hmm. like we talk about Bog a lot, and yep. I think both of us currently are in a situation that we both agree on main decking Bog right now, and we've talked about how I've not felt that in the past. Um, I think what I would say, what I what I do want to say on Bog is um that i think the thing that generally puts me between wanting bog in the main deck versus wanting bog in the sideboard is particularly like how often am i searching it off primeval titan not necessarily how often it's good because bog can have a lot of utility in a lot of matchups i mean like you know if like a deck like dredge is one of you know five tier one decks in a meta like there's a lot of utility of just drawing and playing a bog but i'm not really dredge for i think is like a good example of a deck where it's not really about primeval titan searching bog as much as it is is like bog is a great card to have in your opening hand right Mm -hmm. and so i whereas like when with all the like unholy heat fair decks running around i think it's really good right now to be able to search bog off primeval titan and like bog and some other land maybe a talaria west maybe a bounce land getting set up for the next primeval titan 
and then the next primeval titan is like immune to unholy heat so in a world where in a world where i want the search bog off primeval titan a lot i like it in the main deck yeah and you know i i absolutely agree i'm probably the, the biggest bog lover on the podcast you know if you if you're if you're afraid like if, if your primeval titans are dying to unholy heat and you know you're you're not you don't have bog in your main deck like i don't i don't know what to tell you like yeah they're gonna kill the first one you know when you go and get bog off of it but like do you do you want all of your primeval titans to die to unholy heat or just the first one you know mm-hmm. like you're gonna have to play mul- you're gonna have to fight through unholy heats and if you don't have bog you just actually have like no no real chance i think well, and I also think there's like this thing against Merktide of not only is it the unholy heat, but it's often like the unholy heat followed up by like a big Merktide. And then you're stuck paying for your pact. And then like you're trying to get out from behind of this big Merktide attacking you. And it's like, it doesn't just stop the unholy heat. It also means that they're not following up next turn with a Merktide. So you're going to have a little bit more time potentially to like, you know, get to that next Titan, get back into this game. Like it it slows Mm -hmm. the aggression a lot. I mean, I think Merktide players have moved away from DRCs, but also like, you know, against Dragon Rage Channeler, um, um, like, staving off that aggression but honestly i think the reason that murktide has moved away from drc is just because there is so much graveyard hate right now so it's like i kind of think like drc is like a card that like should belong in murktide it's just not because people are prepared for it but like it's just like you know what dredge used to be is like as soon as everybody starts cutting the like graveyard hate from their 75 then that card is going to be great again i think yeah i I'd say someone who's been testing on the on the Merktide, I mean on the Merktide side of things, like the blue red and the and the Grixis decks, I find that there's there's a big concern right now. Well, one, you you have to choose how important is Shredder to you, and then mm-hmm. you also have to choose how soft do you want to be to red and six. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of blue red players have realized that they were maybe trimming or boarding out their Darcy's entirely against like elementals and other red and six decks. And then realize mm-hmm. that if they're if they're doing this this often, maybe it just shouldn't be in the main deck at all. And before you didn't really have anything you might want to play instead. Where now in the form of Shredder you do, and so mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I think we'll probably see less less Darcy's until uh, you know a possible like Ren and Six ban or something or something happens that makes Ren and Six not as important. Sure, I don't expect Darcy to disappear completely from the modern meta right now. I think what we're seeing right now is that Darcy just doesn't quite have a home, but like a one mana three, three flyer that also has card selection is going to be played in modern, right? Like that's, that's, I don't think anybody should question that. It's just Mm -hmm. when and where and in what context, I think. And so I think facing a world in which delirium is clearly important for unholy heat and also you know there's important things like you know drown in the lock you might want to bog yourself and stuff i think mm-hmm. i think we're in a world right now where uh i'm i'm not even really looking at the bog as something to cut but i think you know the metagame's going to shift new cards are going to be printed cards are going to be banned um it's going to move to a place where Graveyards are going to matter less at some point, and probably Bog will go back to the sideboard eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing that we wanted to cover, I think, was uh, was I believe Layer of the Hydra. Yes. Okay, so I I have to clarify why I love this card because it's not always that like. It's not like necessarily like this is the card that I'm like always searching for off my titan or it's winning me every game or i think it's like so amazing every time i play it what i think about it is this number one the opportunity cost of playing it in your deck is very low it is an untapped turn one green source so those are always good Mm -hmm. and then here's the situation i find myself in so often i have played a primeval titan off after casting a summoner's pack I either need another green source to play pay for the Summoner's Pact, 
or I need another green source to protect myself against one of my green sources being interacted with to pay for the summoner's pact. You know, like if I think there's any chance my opponent's gonna like be spreading seize me and I'm far enough ahead, like I wanna grab a green source there that like a spreading seize is not just a game ending thing right there. Okay, so, yeah. so often I need a green source off my Titan and layer is just like the best green source to grab. Like every time I'm in that situation of wanting to grab a green source off Primeval Titan to pay for Summoner's Pact because it's a green source and it's potentially value and a threat. Um, the other reason I like it is I think there's a lot of decks where you can get into sort of like very fair, like value matters types games and Urza Saga stops being good. So like I think against like four color in particular, like you'll play a Titan, you want to get your Talaria West and you want to get some other like valuable land because you already have a bounce land in hand to bounce the Talaria West. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, you could grab an Urza Saga, but you know that your opponent has like, has had like four cards in hand for multiple turns like probably one of them is like a stranded march of otherworldly light or like a spreading seas that they're just itching for the right target for or you know something or mm -hmm. like a force of vigor and you just haven't had an artifact or enchantment it's like i don't really want the urza saga right here but i do want a land that just provides me something that gives me something adds something to the game and I think mm -hmm. Lair's been good there. There's actually been a couple games against either Four Colors or Elementals where I've ended up getting Lair of the Hydra off one Primeval Titan trigger or just having it in play. And then Vesuvian Lair of the Hydra, and it's like they Solitude my Titan, and they Solitude Titan 2, and they Solitude Titan 3. And then I just start swinging with like a 13-13 Lair of the Hydra, and it's like they've just run out of that effect, and that gets there, so... Oh my god, that's hilarious. I mean, I didn't realize you were going so hard on it that you were copying it with Vesuva. Uh, specifically, I've only done it specifically against a four-color deck. And mm -hmm. it's really only happened in games, and I'm sure you've had these games against four-color, where the game goes forever. You resolve a million Primeval Titans, but they just unholy heat a Primeval Titan. They solitude a Primeval Titan like yep. they... They just keep answering the Primeval Titans, and you keep playing Primeval Titans, and you're getting all this value. It's like, but you got to go somewhere with it, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like Layer has been good in those types of games of just, like, it's one more thing that requires one of those, like, premium answers to deal with. That's that's interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean that that makes that makes total sense. And the the one time I almost activated it and had it matter was against a four color for a color mm -hmm. deck but i just i just had it wrapped up in so many other ways right right i mean that's that's the thing with amulet right like i mean every card that we're choosing and we're like putting in the deck or in the mana base it's all about you know corner cases because the game the the plan a is like we're killing you with a primeval titan or valakuts right you know mm -hmm. like bajukabog is not the plan a right but right you know what are what are the other situations that we need to solve and i think one of the situations you need to solve is like just having a little bit of extra gas against a deck that has a million answers and like layer does a great job of that and like just in long fair games having a green source for the summoner's pack that also does something and i've, mm -hmm. I've used layer for so many things like i've not only used it to like kill opponents i've also used it like like, sometimes it's just been the abyss against my opponents, where it's like they just had to block every turn, and it's like, cool, I ate a Ragavan, I ate a Ledger Shredder, and then I ate a Drown in the Lock. Like, I am so happy, like, Lair of the Hydra, you did amazing for my... You were so much better than playing a Forest on turn one, that, like, later in the game, you became those that you traded for Ledger Shredder, Ragavan, and a Drown in the Lock, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then i've done things like i've crewed unlicensed hearse with it and Ooh. uh sky sovereign i mean uh you know i've been pretty high on unlicensed hearse in the sideboard as like a thing against merc tide in particular um 
And so I've crewed unlicensed hearse with Layer of the Hydra, and I've also crewed Sky Sovereign on more than one occasion with the Layer of the Hydra. And that's that's actually like a really cool bit of utility of just like like because there there's I think often games where you get Sky Sovereign, you get the Sky Sovereign off the Karn, you play it, and then the Karn gets answered, and the Sky Sovereign kind of sits there. But then like when you grab a Titan you can actually have the titan grab the layer and that's like an extra way to like activate and keep the sky sovereign online yeah that's, that's interesting that's something that had never come up for me i never even thought about it but it makes sense i mean we've all had those sky sovereign games where just the boat just kind of sits there you know it, yeah it, it blew up a solitude and then what right yeah yeah exactly um so i i kind of have a, a question about hearse and that's how often do you get it off of your karn uh, I think I've done that once ever, but I don't really... It's not there for that. Okay. It's it's in the sideboard to be sideboarded in, not to be grabbed off card. Because you want to play it on turn two. You don't want to play it on turn four, right? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like, when you're playing it off... If you're grabbing something off Karn, that's like realistically, I think, you know, when that would be coming down as a two drop off card is probably around turn four and that's just like not good but like if you're getting it's a very good card against the living end because like it comes down it exiles two things and then like it just sort of like continuously harasses their graveyard and it's good against murktide um like because you you know, I, I don't know, like, the way I've put it against Murktide is it does a really, really good impression of a colorless rest in peace that also kills them. Like, mm-hmm. um, so, I, I yeah, I, I've really liked the card against Murktide. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and then, the, yeah, just so, like, it, it becomes, like, an 8-8 or a 10-10, and, like, you know, having... At being able to actually attack with that 10-10 or even threatening to attack like sometimes you don't even need to actually crew but the fact that like you can threaten to crew means that they have to leave back their ragavan or leave back their ledger shredder or whatever and every like attack that they don't get is like equity for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. makes makes complete and total i was gonna buy a bunch of them on moto and now they've skyrocketed i didn't and then they skyrocketed and I'm just gonna start buying things on Moto now. Yeah, I mean, my 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 philosophy is like every time there's any card that I think I might put an amulet, I just always buy it on Moto. And I know like not everybody wants to or could do that, but like I I have enough cash in Moto to do that from leagues and stuff. And I I feel like it's very freeing to always be able to like build amulet just like based on whatever cards I want and not based on like financial restrictions because I think when you're building based on financial restrictions you know you're less likely to experiment and try new things and discover new things because you're always thinking about the cost of it but if I just have all the amulet cards in my collection I just can do whatever I want yeah I mean I I have a a pretty similar philosophy of anything that is an amulet or a deck a, a card that would be in amulet and also possibly a legacy deck that I might play. I just mm-hmm. snatched I just snatched them up. I mean, I use card hoarder card hoarder rental services for the most oh, part. I, I do. Uh, um, what's the other one? Mana traders. Yeah, I've got a mana traders account, but I don't use it for any of the amulet stuff. Yeah. So like you know, I, I have my sagas and I have my endurances and I have my force of vigors and a lot of those expensive cards that have gone up. You know, I just had them because like they were good in amulet which would probably be enough for me to buy it anyway if it's if it's like a chase mystic that's good in amulet i'll probably you know just get it but the fact that it also had some overlap with legacy like caused me to definitely pull the trigger like you know i just mm-hmm. i just bought my, my Boseju's right away stuff like that mm-hmm. uh so i this wasn't on our topic list um but i have a very random topic that if you don't mind i i would want to ask you about okay yeah which is um what different ways have you been approaching the murktide matchup from a sideboarding perspective because one of the things i've come to realize is that like 
in a lot of my different lists, I'm sideboarding a lot of different ways versus Merktide. And then I also messaged Mistaken about one of their lists because I wanted to do some uh, like Amulet versus Merktide content for YouTube. And I wanted one of that to be playing one of Mistaken's lists against Merktide. Mm-hmm. And uh, their sideboard plan against Merktide was radically different than than mine. So I'm, I'm curious, first of all, to hear what, what's your general approach to like how how do you set up sideboarding against Merktide with most of the lists that you're doing? So I've been Team Dromoka and have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so my sideboard is going to be way different than everyone else, uh, everyone else's because like I'm just attacking that matchup with strange creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm usually like minusing. I'm usually getting rid of all of my Arizona Sagas, right? Okay. And then I'm bringing in my fourth cavern if it's if it's not already in my main deck. And you mm-hmm. you have persuaded me to put it in my sideboard for exactly these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm bringing out my colossuses if the colossuses are in my list. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I am usually trimming down to an Azu- one Azusa if I have the second one. Mm-hmm. And then I'm usually bringing in at least two endurances because I, I always have at least two endurances in my board. Mm-hmm. And then I'm always bringing in. Uh, this, like, you know, sometimes I usually bring in two dismembers if I have them, and then I'm bringing in a, a Dragonlord Dromoka and a Rasta at the moment, and then um, so if I have trackers, maybe I'll bring one in. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how I feel about tracker in the mm-hmm. post board, but sometimes I play it and sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's 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 generally how I'm approaching it. Um, you know that that wasn't exactly a direct map because my my sixty and my sideboard aren't, don't always exactly like line up perfectly, mm-hmm. and they're not always the same. But that that is my general approach. Gotcha. So can I? I I'm going to show you. Uh, so this is from Mistaken's most list uh, posted, and the sideboard plan that. Uh, like I'm not going to say the exact sideboard plan because I don't know if. I, they didn't give me permission to just share it completely, but they are okay. trimming on two of their summoners packs in the sideboarding and then bringing in a bunch of like endurances and trackers. And I just think that that's like really an interesting, cause like summoners packed was like never a card I even like looked at when I was trimming cards for the matchup. Mm-hmm. But like, I also think that that's like an interesting approach of like, hey, if I'm bringing in four endurances and two tireless trackers, then I don't want a threat that I'm not casting off Cavernous Souls, right? Like, I don't want the Summoner's Packs. I'm just going to play this, like, green mid-range plan. And I think that's maybe, like, the the two sort of philosophies that I've seen sort of going into the Merktide matchup is, like, there's, like, the... I'm trying I'm going to try and force through my combo plan type philosophy and there is the I'm going to become a green mid-range deck type philosophy. It sounds mm-hmm. to me like yours is maybe doing it a little bit differently, but you're also kind of saying I'm going to become a green mid-range deck, right? With like the Rasta mm-hmm. and the Dromoka, just like in a different sort of way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um so I I just think it's really interesting that like I think there's a lot of different ways to approach the matchup. And what I was also coming to realize, and I I don't know if you agree with this, but like, I think it's good that different amulet players are approaching the Merktide matchup differently. I think that benefits all of us when when you're playing Dromoka and Mistaken's becoming a green mid-range deck and like I on my most recent Karn deck, I'm keeping an L4 of my Urza sagas and like just trying to be like, I'll lose to Blood Moon, but nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, because there's no plan that they can make with their sideboard that combats all of those plans well, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're like giving each other cover with our different angles yeah. of attack. I like that actually. Yeah. So it's like, I think this is actually a really interesting thing of like, I, I, I think there's, you know, a lot of people who talk a lot about like, how are you supposed to sideboard against Merktide? And I think one answer, 
maybe that I've been kind of coming to is have a plan and do that plan very well. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to have the same plan. Just figure out what you want your plan to be, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's Dromokas, whether that's comboing, whether that's being a green mid-range deck, like just figure out your plan and do that plan well. Though I do think we, it is telling that all of us have come to the conclusion um, that we don't want Cultivator Colossus in against them. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's just maybe speaking to how bad it is against Dress Down. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, they usually, right now, a lot of them are playing, well, not all of them, but many of them are playing one main deck, but they usually have at least access to two post board. And that mm-hmm. is just, it is so, so bad. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's not fun casting a Colossus into that. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at, like, Pygonti's most recent list that he posted, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, two main deck Dress Down, and then, like, two Blood Moons and a Magus of the Moon, and, like, subtleties and extra Dress Down in the board, and it's like, okay, like, yeah, I will lose to this. Like, you know, it's like, I, you know what? I'm flattered that you're that afraid of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure those are not just for us, but... <laughs> I, I, I was playing a, a paper event, right? And it's the last round, and I offer to split, and my opponent wants to play... And uh-huh. I, you know, I have a belief that if you offer to, if you turn down a split in a situation like that, you're cursed and you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so like, you know, I just ran over them game one and then we're in this post-sport situation and I cast Dramoka and they're like, what? And then they cast their Magus and then I cast Karn and I get a boat and they're like, what is happening? And then I, <laughs> I, I, I cast, you know, the boat and then I cast in a, you know, later I cast an Arasta and it's like I'm just like they're they're just looking at my board and they realize that it's just not at all, like they were completely not prepared for like a board that had a Karn, a boat, a dragon, and a bunch of spiders. Like they're just like, how do I, like they just didn't know what to do. And I'm you know I'm just sitting there thinking like, well this is how like this is exactly how I drew it up. Like what yeah. do you? I think what what uh, what this kind of speaks to is maybe one thing. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think Amulet is a deck of like asking questions. Like we are the always the one asking questions of our opponent, and it's like up to them to like come up with the answers. And I think this is one of the reasons that so many different Amulet decks will like look so different or that I will play such a different Amulet deck from week to week is like as soon as we become a fixed target, like it's easier for us to be answered. But the more Mm -hmm. like different ways that it's like if somebody's like looking if I I love the idea of like going into a tournament and somebody's like looking for at my list from the past week and they see like okay in the past week he's played a four turn timber list he's played a list with no turn timbers he's played a Karn list he's played a list with a frog hemoth in the sideboard like just like just having no idea like what is coming at them right now mm-hmm. I, I don't know and I kind of uh you know expanding on that i am a big believer in that you need to i I was explaining to my my cousin the other day because we were just like experimenting with some different lists and i was you know they are a a much less experienced player than i am i mean they they not not a bad player by any means and when they prepare like they Mm. definitely hold their own um but i was just sort of explaining this idea of like there's there's this baseline right that everyone is playing to you know, there's there's a baseline for the modern format as to like what decks look like and how they interact with each other, mm-hmm. and if if I think your job for any tournament is to try and come up with a deck that is, you know, three cards smarter than whatever the baseline is, right? Like mm-hmm. if everyone is preparing on the same baseline and so they think you're gonna do X and so they're gonna do Y, you need to figure out Z in a way that attacks Y in a way that isn't as vulnerable to as to X, and if all you do is just play whatever the stock list is or just play whatever, you know, the normal thing is or the accepted thing and maybe you're you're not brave enough to try out experimental card choices, well then you're you're never going to be smarter than the baseline. And you're always just going to lose to your opponent's plans that are prepared for the baseline. And you're just mm-hmm. going to be a baseline player in the baseline with all the other baseline players playing baseline strategies that lose the baseline sideboards because like you weren't brave enough or couldn't quite figure out like what is the next level you know, to combat that. And so I, I really want to say this as a sort of a word to encouragement to people to just like 
try different things and to try and like rely on your own data and your own thinking and your own uh, experimentation to basically attack things in ways that are maybe a little bit smarter than what everyone else is trying to do. I, I agree with that. I, w- I would say one caveat to that is I think people in trusting your own data, you got to be really smart about it because I think there is a big contingent of the magic community that writes off a lot of their losses to like bad luck. And it's like you see the fact that you didn't top deck the card you needed or that your opponent did top deck the card they needed. And you think of that as like the way the game was won or lost. And you miss every other decision that was made up to that point as far as play, as far as deck construction, as far as sideboarding, and every other decision that led up to that situation you people ignore in or and they see that one thing and they think well you know they top decked their card and that's that's why they won and it's like but you put them in the situation where they could top deck that card and win right so Mm -hmm. i think like just being careful of like if you're not winning games being careful like not to ascribe it to luck just always like looking for all the different ways that you can improve, especially deck construction and sideboarding, I think are the things that people miss how many of their games are lost specifically to those two things. Absolutely, 100% agree. And I don't know, it also like, I, I, like you, you talk about really looking and analyzing the games as to how they, they play out, and I think that's very important rather than just looking at like win or loss. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I hear the, I, I've heard the term among, you know, some of the better players, you know, out there that when it comes to data, that leagues are noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, have, you, have you, have you heard this out there? Yeah, I think ha- say- House says it a lot. <laughs> and, and it's like, I, I understand what they're trying to say and they're not wrong. Like I understand their, their intent, but like, I kind of disagree because it's like, it's only noise if you just like look at your win loss or just like don't actually analyze mm-hmm. the games and how they played out like mm-hmm. you know i don't need even if i if i play against off meta things and even if like i go 05 or 50 or whatever there are still things to be learned into into actually like how these games played out how you know how the draws how my draws lined up like you you can always learn stuff by actually dissecting the actual games and mm-hmm. you know disregarding whether you you won or lost you know obviously if someone right. is just going oh well i, I 5 would twice so it's good it's like well that's noise but like if the if it's noise to you it's because you're not listening i guess is, is my right point. i think also like you know i yeah i think that's a, a good thing about saying like you know not just seeing the win or loss because like i i think recently i had a match against hammer that i actually lost with carn amulet and like that's a good matchup like i'm not i don't think anyone would ever pretend otherwise that like amulet itself is a good matchup karn amulet in particular is a very good matchup but it was Mm -hmm. like you know my opponent i think game one they went like turn two um like double hammer on a mem knight which Mm -hmm. i besaged like i had the Besaju to survive the turn two kill and they went on to like play a- another creature into another hammer and kill me before I could do anything and it's like I'm okay with losing that game right mm-hmm. that was that yeah. was never a game I was meant to win you know um and like there there's so like there's gonna be hands there's gonna be draws it's like you can uh, so I'm not trying to say that like luck and things don't play into into it right but Mm -hmm. i think like looking beyond like understanding what are the games that like are winnable or are losable via different sorts of choices like there are games that aren't winnable or aren't you know if you're if you get go into a league and you get paired up you're playing amulet and you get paired up against a ponza player who on the play plays a turn two blood moon you're not supposed to learn anything from that game, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But like, if you get played paired against a Death Shadow player, and the game goes eleven turns, and at the last turn they top deck the exact Unholy Heat or Lightning Bolt they need to win, the thing you take away from that game shouldn't be, oh, they got a lucky top deck and that why that's why they won. There are so many other decisions based on how you constructed your deck based on how you sideboarded based on what play patterns you made based on how you mulliganed based on how you bottomed that might have changed Mm -hmm. the outcome of that game and maybe it was a game you weren't going to win maybe you didn't do anything wrong but you shouldn't just take the lesson away from that that like oh they top decked i guess is is sort of my Mm -hmm. what i would i wanted to clarify my point earlier about the top deck and the luck and the element it plays yeah yeah yeah, absolutely um were there any other topics you wanted to hit today not 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 specifically um i know we kind of talked about the idea that there seems to be a stock consensus sort of forming in the amulet deck list but i think we can talk about that some other time not something we need to talk about right now yeah yeah and yeah i think I feel I, I there's there's nothing I feel like I'm forgetting to say you know of course I'll remember it later but I think I think we're good yeah I, I think I I think I feel pretty good about this uh, so I'm Nicholas Bruno also known as Punt and Wine you can find me on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter uh, all as Punt and Wine and on my Twitter there's a link to my Calendly where you can uh, set up. Uh, appointments for uh, if you would like uh, coaching with Amulet, it's $40 uh, an hour for coaching. Um, and uh, yeah. Uh, I am Andy Wilson. I go, I'm Andy SC Wilson on Moto. And uh, I'm on the internet. You can find me if you want. And uh, I would suggest you check out Punt's Calendly link because he coached me and he can coach you too. <laughs>